Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors, forgiven my hidden faults? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, as Dave said, we're going to spend a bit of time looking at that psalm again now. It's my hope that as we do this today, that we really will become familiar with this psalm so that we come back to it and really uh, feast on its richness. And one of the best ways to do that from your end is to have it in front of you. Um, if uh, You can even take a moment to go grab one from a Bible out, out from in the foyer if you like. I'll, I'll wait if you want to do that. And um, that'll really just help you to look at it as we go through. It will be on the screen as well, but I think there's no substitute for actually having it in front of you. And hi to those who are watching online. hope you've got your Bibles as well. But let me pray. I might pray these words of verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. There are really two main points that this psalm has for us, and so we're going to spend some time looking at each of those, and then at the end we're going to come back and see what our response to this psalm would be in the, should be from those final verses. Uh, but the first six verses show us the magnificence of the universe that that speaks to us about the glory of the God who made it. And so our first point is that God reveals himself to us by his works, the works of his hands. Let me read verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. You see what that's saying? What, what we see in the heavens, that is in the sky, whether by day or by night, that sings a constant chorus to us about the glory of the God who made all of that. If you were here 
for church on Christmas Day, you might remember we, we talked about that experience that most of us have had of going out into the country, away from kind of the, the light pollution of the street lights and so on, and looking up at the the stars in the night sky where it's dark. Everyone's done that, right, at some, at some stage. I, I love doing that. Whenever I'm going away on holidays, I always try and at least have one night where I go out and, and just look at the stars. And I remember when I was younger doing that and going to the beach at night and just lying on the sand and looking up at the stars. And after a while, it seemed to me that it, the what I could see changed from looking like a black canvas with white dots on it to beginning to see the depth of it. And, it, and you could just feel the hugeness of the, of the space that, that is all around us. And not just the bigness of it, but the, the magnificence of it. And this psalm is telling us that the bigness and the beauty and the magnificence of the sky, the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, all speak to the glory of the God who made that. That, that, sits in the palm, that it sits in the palm of his hand. So I wonder what, what is it that you see when you look at the sky? Or I guess more importantly, as we read this psalm, what do you hear as you look at the sky? Because this says the heavens declare the glory of God. The, the skies proclaim the works of his hands. Of course, the irony is that they don't actually say anything. They don't make any sound at all. Verse 3 tells us, they use no words. They have no voice. And yet verse 4 tells us just the same. Their voice goes out to the ends of the earth. There is no place on earth where this wordless praise of the universe around us is not heard. Yet there's a reason why pretty much every culture in every part of the world throughout all of history has had some form of religion. That's no accident, because creation sings of its creator. Which, of course, kind of leads us to the question, doesn't it? Why doesn't everyone acknowledge and worship the one true God who made all of this, who made the heavens and the earth? Well, Romans chapter 1 from verse 18 and following tells us that we block our ears to that universal voice that the heavens declare to us. We're like a, a toddler who's kind of got his fingers in his ears saying, la, 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 I can't hear you, to the voice that, that the heavens are declaring to us. And so instead of worshipping the creator of what we see, we worship the creation that we see. And if you notice from verses, the middle of verse 4 down to verse 6, the heavenly body that it particularly talks about is the sun, that you know, by its heat and light, the sun gives life to every living thing on our planet. Every day God causes the sun to rise and to set and it gives light and life to every living thing. And yet throughout history, people have worshipped the sun rather than the God who made the sun. And that's not just talking about that kind of a, that ancient primitive religion, you know, worshipping the sun god kind of thing that you hear from ancient Egypt and so on. When we see the beauty of creation, but we stop there. Yeah, and what we see and the experiences of creation become the source of our joy and our pleasure, what we live for and what we long for. 
then we're worshipping creation rather than the creator. And the Bible says that when we do that, it's actually, that's when we're blocking our ears to the voice of creation that is singing the glory of its creator. When we, when we focus on what we see and worship that, then we're blocking our ears to what they are really telling us. And this is not just talking about a conflict between science and religion, as if the more we know about how the universe works, the less impressed with it we become. I mean, the opposite is true. The more we know, the more we see, the more we discover, the more amazing it is. The issue is not whether or not we're interested in how it works. The issue is whether we are blocking our ears to those voiceless words that the heavens declare, because they speak of a God who wants us to know him. And the problem is that we don't always want to know the God who made us, and so we find an alternative. We worship the creation instead, because the implication of the God who created us is that he has a claim over our lives. So can I say, if you're here today or watching online and you have been blocking your ears to this universal voice of the creation that's declaring the glorious God who made it, then can I urge you, now is the time to stop and look up and acknowledge the God who is there and who wants you to know him. And for those of us who do know that God, then surely the message of this psalm is don't forget to praise him when you see the works of his hands that are declaring his glory. And surely in January, when most of us are seeing more of creation, many of us are going on holidays, it's a great time to really take this to heart. When people go camping at the beach, in the country, wherever you are, take those opportunities when you see the glory of God's creation to praise him for it. Now, when you're awed by the magnificence of the night sky or the beauty of a summer sunset or the majesty of the rolling waves of the ocean or, or the, mount, the, the lofty mountains, be awed by the God who made that, not just by what you're looking at and take that moment to praise the God who made it. That's the first point that this psalm has for us that God reveals himself by his works. The second point from verse 7 down to verse 11 is that God reveals himself by his words. Because you can only know so much about someone when you see the things that they've done. Again, if, if you were here at Christmas, I mentioned that years ago I spent some time working and living in China. And while I was working there, I was living in a hotel and someone would come every day and clean my hotel room while I was gone. And so I never got to meet that person, but I'd go out in the morning and I'd come home at night and the room had been cleaned. The dirty towels had been replaced, the tea and coffee had been uh, stocked up and you know that little triangle on the end of the toilet paper had been, had been folded very nicely. And, and I never got to meet that person, but I could learn a little bit about them based on what I saw. I, you know, I could tell that they'd been there. I could tell that they're pretty good with a vacuum cleaner and don't mind a bit of toilet paper origami. But that's about as far as I got with knowing them because I never, I never got to meet them. They never spoke to me. If you really want to know someone, then you need to talk to them. So compare that cleaner in my hotel room in China to the person who used to clean a church that, that I used to go to. This person would come when I was there. And so I got to meet her and speak with her. 
And I got to find out from her that she'd moved from India and that she was illiterate because she didn't get to go to school as a child. And so now she was learning to read and write both in her native Hindi and in English. I got to learn about her son and even to meet him and I got to hear her love for Jesus all because she spoke to me. And so I got to find out about her. If you really want to know someone, you need to hear their words. And in verses 7 to 11, our psalm speaks about the words of God. So have a look at with me at the character, the goodness of God's word and what that says about the God who speaks them. I mean, just the first phrase of verse 7 will do for a start. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law there is that Hebrew word Torah, and it speaks of the instructions of the Lord, kind of like the instruction that a father gives to his son as he teaches him how to live in the world. He walks beside him, trains him as he's growing, tells him what to do and what not to do, how to live, what you know, how not to live. This is talking about the instruction of the Lord. And see what it says? The law of the Lord is perfect. And then every verse following continues to paint an even more beautiful picture of just how good God's words are. They're perfect, they're trustworthy, they're right, radiant, pure, firm. Everything God says is good. Every promise he makes is trustworthy and true. He doesn't change his mind or go back on his promises. His commands, his instructions are always right and good. And so we don't have to decide which of the things that God says are good and worth listening to and which of the things we maybe we need to take with a grain of salt. No, all of them are good because that's what God is like who speaks them. And because they're good, have a look with me at what these words do for us when we hear them and take them to heart. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. You know, like a cool drink for the body, God's words refresh the soul. And how good does that sound? It also, verse 7, makes the simple person wise. It gives joy to the heart. It gives light to the eyes. And how could you not want that? How could you not value that? How could you not want to fill up on that as much as you could? It's more precious than gold, he tells us. It's sweeter than honey. Gold is the most precious thing that King David would have had the experience of, and and honey is the sweetest thing he would have had the experience of. Maybe you can think of something sweeter. My mind goes to baklava, that delicious crunchiness oozing with sweetness, and you just think, i just got to have more of that. That's the irresistible goodness of God's word and what he tells us for how to live in the world that he has made. So how could we not want to just fill up with that? How could you not want to feast on that every day? That's the goodness of God's word and what it does for us. So I guess the question I want to ask us at this point is, do you believe this goodness of God's word? Do you believe that they are good and good for you? Do you believe that they are more precious than gold and sweeter than honey? And if you do, do you act as if you do? Do you believe it so that you want to feast on it? And I don't mean in that kind of Christmas feast once a year kind of feast. God's word is the kind of feast that you can feast on every day and never get sick. 
every day and never get full. And most Christians say that we value reading the Bible, hearing God speak. But for many of us, our Bibles are sitting on the shelf or on our bedside tables gathering dust. In 2016, our church did the National Church Life Survey and the results from that survey say that from our church, two out of every three of us are not reading our Bibles most days. Two out of every three of us. And in my opinion, that's actually quite common. We say that we value God's word. We say that it's good. We say that we want to hear it. But we don't actually take the time to to read it, to feast on it in in a daily bread kind of way because we know that this nourishes our soul. And we're going to do that survey again this year, the National Church Life Survey, just next month, I think, actually. Let's make this a year where the statistic of people who are reading our Bibles every day goes up. Not so that we have a better statistic, but because we know that it revives our soul. Because we know that it brings joy to the heart and light to the eyes, because it makes the simple person wise. Because it comes from a God who is good and pure and trustworthy and right, and it helps us to know that God better. What a wonderful thing to want more of. So will you commit yourself to hearing God's words in 2022 as we start the new year? And as you read it, will you read it with the conviction that God's word is good and good for you? Because I know that there are times when we might be tempted to doubt the goodness of what God says. And we do that because there are competing voices that we hear about what is good and not good and we listen to those voices. We take our definition of what is good and not good from the world around us and then we read our Bibles and say, oh, come on, God, that doesn't sound right, surely. That can't be right. In our little moment in history, we think we've somehow arrived at the ultimate pinnacle of moral understanding. We know what is right and not right. We know what is good and not good. Never mind the fact that every culture before us and every other moment in history has thought the same thing, and we now look back on those as foolish, which is exactly what people in 10, 20, 50, 100 years' time are going to look back on this period and think of us. And yet somehow we think that right now in this moment, our culture has come to the pinnacle of moral understanding and so, of course, everything that our culture says must be right. And then we demand that God's word fall into line with what the world around us says or we won't really listen to it. And so we come to the parts of the Bible and we cringe and we wish that wasn't there or we think surely that can't be right. We take it with a grain of salt. Actually, I need to recognise that when I read my Bible, my thinking has been shaped by the world around me. And then I need to have the humility to let God speak first, to let his word change me and change my presuppositions about what is good and right rather than the other way around. That's what this second part of the psalm is doing for us. It's inviting us to believe that God's word is good and good for us, that God's word really does refresh the soul, that it really does bring light to the eyes and joy to the heart. So do you believe that? 
And if you do, will you read it? Will you trust it? And will you live by it? That's our second point. And finally, in verses 12 to 14, to the end of the psalm, we get our response to these good words of God. What do these words of God produce in us? Do they make me someone who is filled with knowledge, knowledge of God and knowledge of the world? No, they produce humility and a transformed life. Humility and a transformed life. King David, who wrote this psalm, is convicted of the goodness of God's word and he wants that to shape him and change him and to have a look at what he prays. I'm going to read verses 12 to 14 right through again. I'll read from verse 11. But who by them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock, And my Redeemer. You see what he prays for? He prays for discernment for himself, for forgiveness, for obedience, and to live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. And what great things to pray as we read God's Word. Firstly, discernment. Let me discern my errors. Give me the humility and the self reflection to actually look at myself and see even those hidden faults, the things that don't line up with what God's word says. God, let me see that. Because the mark of someone who is confident in God is that I'm not afraid to ask that of God and to to search myself and to ask God to help me do that, to be able to let the light of God's word shine even on the deepest parts of my heart because I trust the goodness of God's word to bring joy to my heart even if it has to cleanse what is there first. Secondly, it brings forgiveness. Sorry, it leads me to ask for forgiveness. And I can be confident to to pray for discernment and for self-searching because I know that God is a God who forgives. Part of his goodness is that he has a big heart to forgive. He promises that he will and he always keeps his promises. But as I pray for forgiveness, I also pray for obedience. So I can't be content just to know my sin and to ask for forgiveness and leave it there. God's word brings light to the eyes so that we will see and change. Verse 13, keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. If we're honest, we know that when we persist in willful sin, It does rule over us. God, help me to see that and keep me from that. And finally, if I could just finish with those wonderful words in verse 14. A heartfelt desire to live in a way that is pleasing to God. Let me read verse 14 again. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. And what a great motto to live by. If you've got your own Bibles, highlight that. What a great prayer to pray, an earnest desire 
to please the Lord, not just on the outside with the words of my mouth, but on the inside with the meditation of my heart. What is seen and what is unseen, what is heard and what is unheard. May my life be so shaped by the goodness of God as he reveals himself in his word that my life is pleasing in his sight. My Lord, my rock and my redeemer who redeems me by the blood of Jesus and gives me a better way to live. My Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As we step into a new year, as we begin 2022, what a refreshing way to start the new year, awed by the magnificence of God in creation, convicted by the goodness of God in his word and committed to living a life that is pleasing to him in every way. Let's finish by praying verse 14 for all of us and I invite you to echo this along with me in your own hearts. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.